You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. If you will, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Luke chapter 15 today. Luke chapter 15. Don't know if you caught the thread of parallels or connections in our uh, worship today, but I think maybe all of the songs had the word face in it, either seeing the face of God or our face being transfixed or changed uh, as we see God and I hope today that God gives to your face reason to smile today and to smile more as we anticipate his return. I don't know about you, one of the things I'm noticing, and it was fun to be at the fair this past week. I was there on Saturday. I was out of town the beginning of this week. But um, smiles make a difference, and uh, genuine smiles. And our world has more and more to frown about and fret about and fume about, and uh, we have the enduring, abiding reason for joy. And I hope today that you will not leave thinking we're talking about trite happiness or superficial, temporal, fickle kind of joy or happiness but the soul-level, core-level kind of joy that only God can give. And it's our joy to have you today, several guests with us, as well as our regulars, and looking forward to what God has for us this morning. Luke chapter 15, if you will. Uh, Let's read the first seven verses together as you, there in your seat, follow along in a copy of God's Word, if you need it, that's there in the pew, should be one near you there under the seats. Luke 15, let's begin in verse 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him, who is him, Jesus The Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable, and notice it is singular. Uh, We often refer to these three uh, stories we're about to study briefly today as parables, plural, but all of them are built around this same emphasis. He spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth he not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? Notice this, and when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which were lost. I say unto you, Christ says, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. And so we're looking at today smiling more, and the joy and the happiness that we find in Jesus. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us today. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this day and the build-up to it, and the guests that are with us today, regulars as well, our church family. Thank you for the privilege to gather around your word. Lord, um, there's so much on the news wires even this morning and this past week that could turn our smile upside down, Lord, as we look at this world and how it's trending and how that is being processed and interpreted by the average person in our world today. We thank you, Lord, that in you we have uh, abiding joy and peace and comfort and clarity. And I pray today that you would help me, Lord, to call back to this uh, abiding sense of joy, your people, as well as to invite into this soul-level joy those who have yet to receive you as their personal Lord and Savior. Pray that you would move and work in each heart respectively, that, Lord, you would cause each of us to take that next step in our, not just facial expression, but our soul and heart position before you. And I pray that you would grow each of us, starting with me as a result of our study today. And we'll thank you and praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen. 
don't know if you ever been in a situation where um, you're laughing or smiling and you shouldn't be. Have you ever been in that situation? Maybe you've got something, you know, that strikes you as funny. Your kid does something in church and pastor's waxing eloquent about some serious, sober topic. Um, this past week, I was out of town at a music conference with uh, Josh and Rachel, and we, uh, I had been, just to give you a little context, I don't know all of what their weekend was, but I had Friday, I was in Dearborn, it was just busy, we had a few funerals Friday, I was in Dearborn uh, Friday evening, late, got back, and then I was at the fair booth first thing Saturday morning and had a lot to get ready for this week, and uh, then we were gone, and it was the days we were at the conference were very full. We drove to Nashville, uh, Tennessee, late uh, Friday or Sunday night. Uh, and then a conference through Wednesday, and we were driving home Wednesday. They were hoping I wouldn't share this story. I won't give too many specifics. Just needless to say, the three of us were a little slap happy as we headed north from Nashville. And uh, we had gotten lunch, and for whatever reason, we just started laughing. And we were eating, I think, as well uh, as this all went down. Have you ever been where you literally, you're laughing so hard, you're like, I, if I don't stop laughing, I'm, I need to breathe, Okay. And, and, you know, and all that goes with that. I, I remember several years ago, I was at a, um, a uh, recital. I was actually a senior in college, and they required us to go to fine arts. These were like senior recitals of music profe- uh, proficiency students who had worked their whole college career um, to perform. And a buddy of mine, Ryan, probably the first mistake was going with Ryan. We were sitting in this formal event, and I don't know, I'm sure it was his fault. He started laughing. And I'm not kidding you, for the entire hour of that program, we're just fighting, not just to let, if I could just let it out, I would have been fine, but just fighting that laugh inside of my very soul. You ever been there? I don't know about you, in our day, it almost feels like instead of trying to stop myself from laughing and smiling, it's, I got to stop myself from frowning and crying. That's more what feels like maybe is in the core of my being through everything that our world is navigating and many things that you as well are navigating. Can I say to you today, a lot of the world we live in today is moving further and further into darkness. It's amazing to me the things that used to only be in secret talked about are now paraded on the streets, and not just carnal things or fleshly things, but dark things. The entertainment industry caters to that, that, that digression, that downward spiral in our culture today, and the despair and the negativity and the sniping that we see swirling all around us. And may I submit to you today that without God and His intervention in our lives, we cannot have this resilient smile or joy uh, as life progresses, as the world unravels before our eyes. And so Jesus here, speaking both to the sinner and the Pharisee, uh, gives to them a, a different view of God, not a God who is frowning and criticizing and sniping as they would view Him as Pharisees and maybe even the sinners as well, but a God who longed to have relationship with those who were lost. And is it not the impulse of religion since the beginning of, uh, of human history has been to portray God or to view God in this manner as a judging God, and He is our judge, and He is holy, but also a God who cares deeply for we who are lost from Him. And so we see Christ here in, these par- in this parable, these three manifestations of this parable, He challenges us to think differently of our God. Now, the word parable that occurs only once in chapter 15 of Luke seems to be to confront this dismissiveness or this judgmentalism of the Pharisees toward the sinners. In each case, these three stories we'll look at briefly, the lost object is found, and then listen, it results in what? Rejoicing. Joy that comes when lost 
things, when lost people become found. And it's interesting, the sheep are innocently lost, the coin is carelessly lost, but the son is willfully lost. We'll talk about each of these today. But the percentage of loss increases. First, it's one out of a hundred sheep. Then it's one out of ten coins. And then it's one out of, how many? Two sons. And so this story begins to ratchet down the significance of being lost and God's heart position and desire to give joy where there is only loss. All right, so let's talk about today in a day of elusive joy, how do we find in God uh, the reason to smile? Let's talk about three of them today in the time we have left. And our outline is there in the bulletin uh, if you'd like to follow along. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes first of all about the joy that comes from divine guidance. Jesus here first portrays us who struggle to smile as sinners who really are lost sheep in need of a shepherd to do what? To guide us. I want to just say to you today as we begin, until God is calling the shots, and still, until God is leading in your life, you're going to be miserable. And I don't say that to judge you because you're wandering today, and God, more importantly, through His Word, is not trying to pile on the misery you have. He's calling you to follow Him, not to ruin you or to control you, but to satisfy you, to give to you a joy, an abiding sense. I'm in the middle, in the center of God's will. He is at the helm of my heart and life. And so joy that maybe is missing today, first that can be ours, is through divine guidance. All right, go back to our story that we read to begin with. Look at verse 4. He uses this question, this rhetorical question, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? All right, a couple points under that. Number one, your intrinsic way, you doing your own thing your way, leads to vulnerable frowns. So we're going to contrast the frowns that come from doing our thing versus the smile that comes, the joy that comes from doing it God's way. Your intrinsic way leads to frowns that are vulnerable. Um, a few weeks ago, my boys and I, one of my sons at least, we were watching uh, the Indians were playing the A's, the Oakland A's. It's still the Oakland A's, I think it is. Teams are moving around. And we were watching a little bit of the baseball game, and all of a sudden, they, they showed a camera shot of a guy sitting behind home plate, and he's just eating, just stuffing his face. Some of us go to ball games, you know, and you, I mean, you can blow 50 bucks on one ballpark, you know, hot dog sometimes. But I noticed, and the commentators, the camera zoomed in on him. You know, it must have been a slow point in the game for some reason. Baseball can have that now and then. And the commentators started laughing, and then they kind of panned back to him. And he was eating a hot dog with the following things on top of it, Okay. It had cheese and fries and stuff or whatever on top, but then it had just mounds of bacon. And then this was what got everybody's attention. Fruit Loops were the final dressing. Have any of you seen that? And I, I, re- I kind of just dug into that. I think the Indians, since like 2016, have been serving in one of their wings uh, a hot dog you can buy that's finished off with, with a nice little, little dressing of Fruit Loops. And I, here's all I could think of. That guy's going to be miserable tonight when he goes to bed, all right? Heartburn, you know, overload. That's what, what often uh, happens when we choose what we want to eat. Can I just say to you as it relates to doing things our way, not only does it lead to heartburn and discomfort, it leads to sorrow. It seems like it's the right way. It seems like it's what most will satisfy and bring even joy into our life, and it leaves us absolutely miserable. And so we see this analogy of a sheep 
who is lost, and because of their stupidity, they wander away from the shepherd and fail to see the danger. Did you notice the context? Where are they at? They're in the wilderness. It's in a place of great vulnerability. And today, some of the lack of joy maybe in this room is because we feel vulnerable because we're in the driver's seat. We're doing our own thing. God's not the one in charge, and so I feel exposed. I feel vulnerable where the shepherd longs to provide safety. And I love that it says in verse number four, if he lose one, if he lose one. Notice that God views our wandering one, us as the wandering one, not as with this spirit, well, forget them. He values them. Listen, if you're not following God today, God counts that as a loss. He counts that as a loss that he wants to regain. He values you. He doesn't dismiss you. He doesn't ignore you. He longs to be your savior and your Lord. And so going your own way will lead to frowns of vulnerability. All right. Then if you will notice the end of verse four, notice this shepherd goes after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. Number two, jot this down. God, the son we see as the shepherd pictured here in this parable leads toward discovered smiles, discovered smiles. Um, I don't know what you would love to do to fix or improve your appearance. That's often something we all look in the mirror. Man, I wish I could change that or upgrade that or whatever. And then if it's even possible, you price it out. And for some reason, your insurance doesn't view that as a a valid improvement. And so you just back away from that and tend to ignore it. I heard the other day someone said this, a smile is an inexpensive way to improve your looks. Isn't that true? I'm attracted to people who don't have impeccable skin and, you know, their, their, their celebrity status profile, just a smile. Can I remind you today, though it's inexpensive for us, it costs God dearly, listen to me, to bring that kind of smile to our faces. God the Son, the, the sacrifice of Jesus, the shepherd willing to come all the way from heaven, the journey of going after us, as is used in verse 4, involved his descent to earth, his years of public ministry, his rejection, his suffering, his death. He alone has come to save us. One author I was reading the other day used this analogy of swimming. Every religion is giving swimming lessons to drowning people. The swimming techniques may vary, but the instructors, listen, stay together safe in the boat, except for one. Only he dives in, only he submerges, only he saves. Jesus came. The shepherd has come. He didn't come to control us and manipulate us. He came to save us even from ourselves. And in verse number five, he he lays the, the lamb upon, he lays the sheep upon his shoulders rejoicing. The shoulders, and then in verse six, he cometh home. The idea here of shoulders and home suggests that this sheep that has been saved enjoys a place of privilege and intimacy with the shepherd that he never knew before when he was numbered with the others. And so this leads to intimate relationship with Jesus. Um, We're working through a book right now in our small groups, and I trust it's been encouragement to those that have been studying it with us and invite you to get in on those uh, next time around here in our winter season. But uh, there's a section of the book where the author says, we project onto Jesus our skewed instincts Sure, Jesus comes close to us, but he holds his nose. We naturally think of Jesus touching us the way, I love this analogy, a little boy reaches out to touch a slug for the first time. 
face screwed up, reaching out and touching dirty sinners and numb sufferers. And then the author said this, such embrace is precisely what he loves to do. He cannot bear to hold back. Jesus comes near because he loves us. He longs for intimate relationship with us that alone brings joy. All right, then notice what he does. At the end of verse 6, he calls together friends, neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Christ brings this first section of the parable to application. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. And so we see that this joy is shared. The lost sheep brings greater joy than the ninety-nine who are unwilling to come. Now, in no way is verse 7 saying that these persons don't need to repent. It's not willing to acknowledge they need to repent. They're just in their ways. They're going to do it their way. They're going to do it on their terms. And only the one willing to acknowledge they're lost and need God to guide them and lead them can bring joy to God and experience that joy themselves. Um, The other day I saw a little pithy definition of the word smile. Smile, a noun. A curve that sets everything straight. A curve that sets everything straight. And I'm telling you, if God can look at us today through the finished work of Jesus Christ and smile on losers like us, it sets everything straight in our lives. The things that don't make sense and the things that confuse you and discourage you and distract you, all of that becomes straight if God is pleased with me. Isaiah 53 and verse 6 in this same analogy of sheep that wander, it says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, who is that? The one speaking here in Luke 15, Jesus, hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Verse 11, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. If God is pleased with us through Jesus, and God is leading in our life through Jesus, we can smile today. There's a lot wrong in my life, isn't there, in yours, that you wish you could fix and change and amend? But if I know God is leading in my life this morning, I can smile. I'm right where he wants me. It's not perfect and it's not ideal and others may not fully understand it, but he's in charge. He's at the helm. That brings lasting joy. Um, Yesterday, I asked my family for sure. This shows you how much I care about pets. I asked them, there's been this little poster on across the street from our house on the telephone pole, and I said, did you see what's on that just last night? Because I knew I was going to use this illustration today. And here somebody's lost their cat, and so they've got posted on the telephone pole, you know, call this number, maybe a $10 reward. I don't know what all they put on there to get the public's attention. Have you ever driven through town and seen that? And especially you see it, and then you see it, and then you see it. An author I was reading was talking about this idea of how God seeks for us unlike others. He said, I've noticed that nothing seems to happen when things are posted like this. The seasons change, the pictures grow faded with weather, and yet many of those signs are still up. The author said this, I can't help but wonder, is someone actually looking for these animals? Do they expect me to do all the work? Did the owners just put up signs and assume the pets will read them, realizing they're missing and saunter their way home? And then he said this, listen to this, this is not the way God seeks. The shepherd doesn't put up a sign that says, hey, I lost a sheep. He leaves the 99 behind and goes after the one who is missing. God came after you. God came after me. And we can't smile today. 
God valued you enough to leave heaven, to leave the throne, to leave the glory and the holy, holy, holies, and to come to find you today and to find me whenever God found me and I found him. There is joy that should come and joy that should be sustained from knowing a God like that. May I say to you today, you will never find joy by insisting upon going your own way and trying to figure it all out on your own, even if it's quote-unquote towards God. You need the guidance of His Son, not just to know the way to go, but to be able to go in that way, which ends with what? Enter thou into the what of thy Lord? The joy. The joy of thy Lord. All of that is ours if we'll let God the Son lead us. All right, go to verse 8 now. Let's look over a few minutes at the second, if you will, prong or illustration of this parable that joy is only found uh, through God. Verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 8. Either what woman, here's now a second question that leads into this illustration. Either what woman, having 10 pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she had found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Number two, we find joy not only in divine guidance, number two, in divine usefulness. Usefulness. Um, you amazed at the depths of your laziness, like how creative you will be? and things you will do to not do what you should do if you follow my drift here. Um, the other day, a friend of mine sent this to me. He said, some of my friends exercise every day. So that's some of his friends. Meanwhile, I'm watching a show I don't even like because the remote fell on the floor, and I can't reach it. That, that's me. You know, for a lot of us, the reason that we don't have joy today, listen to me, I love you enough to say this to you, is because we're not being used by God. We're not being used for our created and redeemed purpose. We're just coasting and drifting and just kind of in maintenance mode. We're not on task and on mission for what God has left us here to do. And so joy comes from being guided by God. That's unbelievable. But number two, being used by God. Being used by God, the God who can do anything His way. He's chosen to do much through us. And so Jesus saw these sinners, not just as lost sheep in need of guidance, but lost coins that had value and significance, and if you will, just needed put back into circulation. They just needed something to do. Uh, they needed something to accomplish, and uh, we today, God wants to use you and me and the joy that comes from that. Um, I don't know if you know Wayne County very well. I love Wayne County. I was born here in Worcester, grew up over in Richland County, but I love Wayne County. We have 115,000 plus people in our county, 115,000. Can you imagine if, let's just say half of that, let's say 50,000 in our county, were being actively every moment on mission, being used by our God? Do you think that would affect the joy in our county? And we could broaden out for those of you from other places and other counties today, the lack of joy in our area and joy in our own hearts is because we're not being used by Him. Listen, some of us in the room, we're miserable because we're telling other people what they should be doing and not doing. And that's the only thing we're focused on. How are you being used? Are you being used? There's a joy that only comes when we're active in uh, the service of the Lord. All right, let's talk about a couple of things as it relates to this joy that comes through divine usefulness. Number one, your intrinsic effort. So if you just want to do your thing, this leads to lifeless 
frowns, frowns without life, without energy. And we see that in verse 8. She said, he says, if she lose one piece, if she lose one piece, this lifelessness. Now, the coin being referred to here uh, is a drachma, is the technical word here, and it's equivalent or a denarius to a day's wage. This was significant in its day, intrinsically. And if the previous account speaks of sheep who wander away of their own volition, the coin here likely refers to an inanimate object, a lifeless object. The Bible says before we receive Christ as Savior, we are what in our sins? We are what? Dead. Dead in our sins. And so if we do our thing, we are lifeless. We are, we, we are listless. We do not have what we need to live for the Lord. Um, everything I could read on this, I've often read this little part of the parable and wondered about why this was so urgent to this woman. It's just one coin. Yes, she only had 10, but why, why did she sweep the house? You ladies, you choose a house based on how easy it is to clean. I know how you work. I hear that often. I don't want the house too hard to clean. Um, cleaning was, was not, it was an inconvenience. She sweeps, she searches, she's, she's on her hands uh, and knees, she's looking for this lost coin. Why was it so important? It's likely that these coins formed a necklace in this culture of 10 coins that were a headband or a necklace that would signify that woman was married, maybe her dowry, and to lose one of them would mar the whole collection. She, she, she wanted it. It had value. It had significance. May I lovingly say today that like that coin, sinners bear the imprint of God, right? We're made in His image. There's that stamp upon us. We have embedded in us intrinsic value because of God who has made us and the God who wants to remake us into His image in the areas where we are fallen. And so may we be willing to acknowledge we'll never find real joy until we return to the one who has made us and the one alone who gives to us our purpose, our mission, and the joy that follows. All right, let's talk about the positive side of that. Notice what happens. So she lights a candle, sweeps the house, and seeks diligently till she find it. So if the first parable relates to the Son, which of the two remaining persons of the Trinity do you think this searching, this light, this candle... God the Spirit. Number two, would you jot this down? God the Spirit leads us toward treasured smiles. Treasured. We value what He has given us with this joy. And so we see she doesn't wait for the coin to come to her. She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. She seeks diligently until she finds it. And by the way, notice that the person in the story searching is the mother of the household. I was thinking about that. Have you ever told your kid, well, did, you know, they're like, where is such and such? You're like, did you look for it? Yeah. Where? Uh, right here. Like they looked down at the floor. This woman was seeking and seeking and seeking. She was diligent in her task. And God the Spirit is searching. He's working in hearts. He's leading us toward Himself. God uh, is drawing us through His Spirit. I love the fact that God doesn't wait for us to find our joy on our own. All right, you want to smile? You wish you would smile? Figure it out. He seeks us. He searches for us. He cleans out the debris that, that often dilutes or defiles our thinking and belief. And He searches with light and with truth and draws us to Himself. He tasks Himself with helping us find our usefulness for Him. Uh, and so likely the woman in the story may be a picture of the Holy Spirit seeking the lost with the lamp of what? What's the lamp in Scripture? God's Word. Searching and 
seeking and probing. And today, if you hear that, if you feel that tug in your heart, that's not me, that's not this room, it's, it's God the Spirit seeking you and longing for personal relationship with you to give you a place of usefulness, not just in this life, but in eternity. And so we see the nine silver coins, the unrepentant, again, those who saw not the need to repent. They were not the ones that brought joy, it was the one that was found. All right, verse 9, notice she finds it, and like the shepherd, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. And so she calls her friends, she calls her neighbors. And the sinner who humbles himself brings joy to God, just as the coin brings joy to this woman. Um, the other day I heard this statement. I think it's good. I don't know what your favorite cup is. For me, I joke about this often. I enjoy coffee, but part of coffee is the cup it's in, right? Or whatever your favorite uh, beverage is that gets you going in the morning, and it, it's the cup. And there's some days that just that's the cup. I have a cup that says, uh, Heidi got it for me. I don't know if she's trying to tell me something, but it has on, on the front of it, it's too peopley outside, if you get that. I'm a little bit introverted, if, if you can believe that. Um, and some days, that's the mug I grab. It's, I'm not thinking of you guys when I do it, okay? But it's just, I just, I'm at home today, and man, that mug just fits. But what's the value of a cup? What's the value of, of, of that mug that you use? Someone said this, the usefulness of the cup is its emptiness. It's emptiness. And can I say today, some of us are too full of ourselves, too full of ourselves to receive from God a mission and then to derive the joy that comes from being used in that mission. I'm not comfortable with that. I've never done that before. This is a little different or uh, whatever the excuse may be. I'm not adequate, as Moses said. The usefulness of, of a cup is its emptiness. And when we're used, God fills us with joy. Joy is directly proportionate to the usefulness that comes after we've been filled with the Spirit. Not just to feel joy, but to do what He's created us to do. Galatians 5.22 but the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the next one? Joy. Being filled with the Spirit leads to joy and all that goes on with uh, the list. All right, let me give you this illustration. If this catches you, if you can catch what's in the picture. So I found this to be one of the best illustrations of not using something properly, okay? Um, a friend of mine took this picture. I think this comes from a list. Uh, he was in Africa, and there was a gentleman he saw carrying a bag of whatever that is. Some of you may know what that is. And then he's carrying the wheelbarrow. Can you think of another way to make that a little easier? <laughs> Such as put the, put the wheelbarrow on the ground and let it help you. Um, I think for a lot of us, that's kind of how we're going through life. And here we are, we're going through life. We're not using or being used what God has given to us properly. And we're miserable. We're staggering under the load of so-called our victim experience and mindset instead of using and being used by God the way he wants us to be. A thing or a person, listen to me, is only as valuable and joyful as they're willing to find and be faithful in their God-created purpose. Do you know why you're here today? Do you know why you're going to enter into Monday and Tuesday, and if Christ tarries is coming this week, do you know what your purpose is? A thing or person is only as valuable and joyful as they're willing to find and be faithful in their God-intended purpose. So, dearly beloved, stop the useless endeavor to resist God and His mission for you that will not just deplete your joy, but also your joy, your strength, but your joy. Lean into what God has called you to do and be. 
There's something about being in the service of the king that just makes us happy. If I'm serving God, there, obviously there's an underbelly and there are things about any of that we don't necessarily enjoy, whatever it is in our family setting, in our professional setting, in the ministry setting. But if I'm doing it for him, it produces joy. All right, lastly, let's spend a few minutes now in this significant part of the parable, and that would be the parable, as we would call it, of the prodigal son that begins in verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. And he divides unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. He sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was a great, yet a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father, the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry. And so we see a third illustration or example of joy. Number three, lastly, oh, I already went there, didn't I? Joy. Number three is talk about joy that comes from divine fellowship. Joy that comes from divine fellowship. So joy that comes from, first of all, being guided by God. Number two, being used by God. And thirdly, just being with God. Divine fellowship. Um, one of the things that we experienced while we were out of town this past week was we were in Nashville, and Nashville's known for its food places, and one of the things that we had while we were there was a, it was a chicken uh, waffle, a chicken waffle taco, if that's possible, if you can picture that in your mind, and the shell of it was this kind of sweet, it was still kind of a tortilla, but it was kind of sweet, and then it had chicken in it with this amazing like maple aioli like sauce on it and bacon anyway it was it was amazing okay is all i can say and it was the combination of all of it like just made you just mm, i'll take three more of those just for everybody three for everybody you know just so pumped after you eat it um but it was the combination of things some of you who are much better cooks than i it's not the one ingredient i could buy the same ingredients as you but i can't put it together like you can i can eat it i can put it down like nobody okay i can do that but I, I can't put it together like you can. Can I just tell you, there's a joy that only is ours when we're with God. Do you think that there were smiles on Adam and Eve's faces as they walked with God in the cool of the evening? I don't see it in the original language there, but I guarantee it was there. You think Adam and Eve were smiling as they walked with God in the cool of the evening? Perfect environment. And then we ruined it, didn't we? And ever since, we've been chasing that same feeling and that same inner desire that God has embedded within us. And it's only when we are with God that we can experience these levels of joy. There's nobody else. There's nowhere else we can go or somebody we can be with. 
that can give us the joy that we find in the presence of our God, the one who made us and the one who offers to us salvation. And so Jesus here sees these sinners that the Pharisees are sniping and biting and nipping at their heels, if you will, in criticism. He sees them as lost sons who are in need of fellowship with their father. And so this joy that comes through divine fellowship. All right, let me give you two things. Number one, your intrinsic selfishness leads toward degraded frowns. It degrades you, it diminishes you, it devalues you when you go on your selfish way. Now, what's interesting in this last part of the parable is this. You have the shepherd seeking, right? Seeking the sheep. You have the, the woman of the house seeking the coin. But here, because of the willfulness of the son, the father doesn't go seek the son. It was a choice that he had to make to come home. And today, for each of us, you've heard me say it if you've been here any length of time, probably 10, 20 times, you are as close to God today as you choose to be. He's literally just beyond you. He's he's right there, but you have to choose Him. He's not going to force Himself on you. And so this fellowship is a move that we must make. He's on the front porch. He's ready to meet us as much as He can, but we have to make that move. And so this divine fellowship that leads to joy is our choice. And when we go our own way, it breaks us. It devalues us. It brings us to where we see in the story. Now look, again, just for sake of time, in verse 12 and 13, you see, as we just read, the younger son asked for his inheritance. Do you know what that was like for him to say that to his father before he was supposed to rightfully get it? It was basically, I wish you would die. That, that was the vibe. He, he just wanted from his father what he wanted. Didn't think about how it affected his father and what it said to his father. And yet his father gives to him what he asked. May I say to you today, there's no greater misery than refusing to use what God has given us for His intended purpose, whether that be our minds, our hearts, our bodies, or people and things around us. When we use what God has given us for ourselves, we will never be happy because what God gives us is all, also has a purpose connected to it. And if we only want God's stuff without wanting God, we're going to be miserable. Like if today you're breathing his air and you're enjoying his world and you're enjoying even people he's put in your life, you have so much God's given you. If you just want him for the stuff he gives you, you're going to continue to be miserable. No matter how much more of it you have or different of it you have, you will not have joy. And so the joy is found in using it for his purpose. All right, and then verse uh, 14 to 16, you notice that his funds run out. He has friends until he runs out of money, and he wasted, he squanders the hard-earned monies of his father on riotous living. And we find this downward spiral. Can you imagine it that leads to him ultimately feeding pigs, which is like the last rung of the ladder for a Jew, feeding, of all things, pigs. And he's so low that he wishes he could eat what was given to them to eat. He has reached the bottom of the bottom. Heard the other day someone was talking about debt. I don't know if you ever heard this, you know, buy this new car, buy this house, open this credit card and, and transfer these funds for, and then they will say so many easy payments. And somebody was saying there are no easy payments, right? We've all learned that lesson, I'm sure. Now I remind you, there are no easy payments when we live for ourselves. The payments come out and they're doled out in sorrow and angst and anxiety and the list goes on and on. When we do our own thing, It's always going to lead us in this direction. 
What I love about the story, though, is look at the beginning of verse 17. It says, and when he came to himself. And when he came to himself. And we see now a pivot in the hardened mind of this young man. The famine actually proved to be a blessing in disguise. It made him think. As he began to think, instead of just feel, he remembered the father's hired servants that were living more comfortably than him. And notice he says, I love this, in verse uh, number 18, he says, I will. I will arise. Now you see that pivot of his own will as he chooses to come back and to seek fellowship again, or for the first time with the father, he chooses to come back. Uh, we were at a music conference this week, and I've just been thinking about music as it relates to the believer. And the other day I heard some, one of you, I think, posted this online. A Southern Gospel singer said this, When you're happy, you enjoy the music. When you're sad, you understand the lyrics. And I think that's where we see this young man. He's, he's hip bottom, he's sad, and he's not just feeling now, and he's not just caught up in the emotion of it in a happiness kind of way. The saddest, sadness was actually one of the greatest blessings long-term in his life as he thought on where he was, how foolish he had been, and the fellowship still available from his father. By the way, if you would ask this prodigal son after the fact, what prompted you to come back to the father? I don't think it was the badness of life. It was the goodness of the father. Yeah, he was in a bad place, but it was thinking on how good the father was just to the servants and his desire to be again in the presence of that goodness. Romans 2.4 says that the goodness of God leads men to repentance. It is the goodness of God that should draw us away from our selfishness and into his delight. One author said this, if I find my, in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, have you found that to be true yet? Nothing satisfies you in this present world, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You're never going to find here what you're going to find with the Father. You're never going to find here what you're going to find in the Father's house, the fellowship, the, the relationship that God has embedded in us a desire for. All right, now let's spend the balance of our time in these last couple of verses. Go to verse 20. And we know the story, but pretend that you don't. What would you do if your son did to you or if your daughter did to you what this young man did to his father? Notice what God the Father now does in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. I love this verse. But when he was a, yet a great way off, his father saw him. He'd been looking for him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Lastly, jot this down. God the Father leads toward intimate smiles. God the Father leads, if we'll follow Him, if we'll yield to Him, leads us toward intimate smiles. I don't know if you have, I have two brothers. One's a missionary in London. The other was in uh, north of Pittsburgh. And uh, we just had a Zoom call the other day. In fact, just before I found out that Brother Ethan's uh, brother uh, went home to be with the Lord, and I told him that that day, how much it, that I still can see my brothers even through Zoom. So we were having conversation, and you know how brothers are, a little needling jokes, you know, inside jokes. There are words I can say to my brothers or they can say to me that all I have to say is that one word and we just all bust up laughing. There's like inside jokes. Do you have that with your family? They're like intimate, kind of, no one, they, everybody else would think it's stupid and dumb and probably it is stupid and dumb if we're honest, but it's something that brings us a shared connection of joy or laughter. Have you ever thought about God wants that with us? He wants 
shared smiles, that when we smile, he smiles, and when he smiles, we smile. That, that's, that's the fellowship, the level of fellowship that God the Father we see modeled here in the story has with this one who does not deserve it. In verse 20, we cannot overemphasize how out of character, out of touch with culture, this was for the father, an elderly man, to run. Um, those who were the elders conducted themselves with decorum and a certain level of reservation, especially if they were dealing with someone who was an outcast or someone who was a rebel. And for the father to run shows a, an unnatural and unbelievable level of compassion for his boy. By the way, according to Deuteronomy 21, this boy could have been stoned for what he did. And the father put himself between the boy and those stones. If someone had been prone or privy to do that, this man identified with his rebel son. Do you know how committed God the Father is to your joy and his? He wants you to be, in the right sense, happy. He wants you to experience joy. He has gone to great lengths. He has extended himself, to say the least, to offer to you joy. Our Father seeks and finds in us joy. He longs for that. Do you expect that in your relationship with him? All right, verse 21, the son goes into his speech, I've sinned against heaven. Notice there the, the acknowledgement of sin first to the Lord. And in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Notice he doesn't get into the hired servant bit, does he? The father cuts him off after he senses the repentance in the heart of his son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robes, all right? The servants that the son remembered had been treated so well, put it on him. Who knows what he was wearing in that moment, but over that or upon that goes this robe. Put on him the ring on his hand. Here's now the identification of sonship and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf, kill it, let us eat and be merry. And so we see here the confession of the son, the celebration of the father. What did the son leave the house for? What do you think he was looking for? We would use this expression, looking for what? A good time. When the son, didn't he go out looking for a good time? And where did he ultimately discover was the place of a good time? Was home with that. Can I call you back to the Father today if you've wandered? We've been through some crazy months and a couple years here. Men, have your eyes and minds wandered to other things to find a, a, a very short moment of pleasure? Ladies, have you, have you wandered? Young people, have you, have you wandered from the house looking for a good time? I'm telling you, there's no joy out there that compares to the joy with the Father. You were made for that place. Uh, he's drawing you to that place. Ultimately, heaven is described as the Father's house, and we get a place in that place. It's the place of ultimate joy. And so the son realizes in this moment that what he had looked for in the husk and hollows of the world, he now finds in the presence of his father. Now, it's interesting in verse 24, and you can read maybe too much into this, but verse 24 says, after the father says, this is my son, all right? I don't care what you've heard about him and what he's done. He's my son. He's alive again. He was lost and is found. And then notice this phrase, and they began to be married. And someone had said, they didn't say when they finished. It's like that joy just kept going. And that's kind of at least an allusion, I think, to the picture of this joy of the Lord that has no end to it. It just expands. It just continues. It's, it's sustained throughout eternity, this joy that we find with the father. The other day I came across a story um, 
about a college senior that I think illustrates how often we miss the joy that God the Father alone gives. It tells a story of a man named Philip, a young man who had eyed a beautiful sports car in the dealer's showroom as he was getting ready to graduate from college, hoping his father would purchase it for him. Each day leading up to the big day, he looked for signs from his father to see if he had purchased the car. After the graduation ceremony, the father summoned his son to his private study. A proud father handed his son a wrapped gift box as he expressed his feelings for such a big, big accomplishment. Intrigued but to some extent disappointed, the son unwrapped the box to reveal a calfskin leather Bible with his name embossed on the lower right-hand cover. He raised his voice and shouted at his father, You got me a Bible for graduation? With all the money you have, you got me this? The son left the Bible on the desk and stormed out of the office. Years passed. The boy went, went on to run a successful business, have a family, and live a comfortable life. However, his relationship with his father was fractured from that day forward. Maybe it was the pride on his part or arrogance. Regardless of the reason, he never apologized for his outburst. One day, he received a telegram stating that his father had passed away from a massive heart attack. He was notified that he was in charge of the estate and needed to come home to execute uh, the wishes of his father. As soon as he arrived home, regret overwhelmed him as he walked into the house. Searching through the papers on his father's desk, he came across the Bible he had received for graduation, still there in its original box. Tears streamed down his face as he flipped through the pages. As he did so, he noticed a bookmark next to a verse that his father carefully underlined. If ye then know who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Matthew 7, 11. He felt something stuck to the back cover of the Bible. It was a car key with the tag of a local dealer's name on it. Inscribed on the tag was his graduation date and the words, paid in full. And can I tell you today how often we miss the blessings of the Father? We almost view them as burdens. We're so short-sighted when everything God's doing, everything the Father is leading you through and allowing in your life today, whatever's missing or you wish you could change, you wish you could add or subtract, He's using that to draw nigh to you. He's doing that to not make you miserable, but bring you into greater joy. And often we miss the blessings because of how they're packaged. They're not packaged the way we would expect. May we be willing, like this young man, to embrace how and where God meets us. Now, we don't have time to read it, but in verses 25 to 32, we have the last character of the story, which is the elder brother. And there's another group in the room today. I hate to bring this up, but I need to. There are not only those who are miserable today because they're prodigals and they've wandered from the house, but there's also people in the room, if we're honest, we are miserable because we are Pharisees. We're even so-called in the Father's house. We're close to the Father, and we feel like we're His representatives, and we're judging others. And we're not willing to welcome back the wayward sinner. Yeah, they need to repent, but we need to welcome them back. And there's also a source of, of miserableness and lack of joy that comes when that is true. And one of the things I was struck by, have you ever wondered this as you read Luke 15? Did the elder son come back in the house? We don't know. Do you have a guess? I do. I have my own thought on it. But I think Christ does that on purpose. You want to know why? Because really the elder brother really is not just this guy, it's us. Are we? Are you? Am I willing to come back into the Father's house? 
And instead of sniping and critiquing and analyzing others, am I willing to draw nigh to God and to experience the joy that He alone brings? You, listen, brethren, today, listen, visitor, today, you will never find joy outside of God's presence, not the kind of joy that we see in Scripture. No matter where else you go and who else you are there with, He alone is the source and sustainer of joy. Would you stop chasing the mirages that promise joy in our world, and would you come to Him for the first time, if you don't know Christ as Savior, or for the umpteenth time, if you're like me, and just saying, God, my bad again. I'm sorry again. I sought in something or someone else or somewhere else the joy I only can find in you. All right, let's end today in Psalm 16. Would you go there for a moment as we finish today? Appreciate those tuning in online as well. Psalm 16, and let's look, if you will, at this last key little verse or section. Psalm 16, and let's begin in verse number 8. And as you're turning there, um, I don't know if you heard last Sunday, Pastor Dave was joking because of these banners that today is brought to you by Amazon, okay? That our sponsor is Amazon. It's not, okay? Um, we're a nonprofit. We always will be. But I, I wanted to show you this logo because I was reading the other day about, like, what's the deal with the Amazon, especially the smile part? Um, you are aware of why they're called Amazon, right? Amazon is, um, in length, it's the longest in South America. In sheer volume, it has the most water in the world of any freshwater river. So the idea is that it's, it's providing and it's sustaining and it's giving all this out. But specifically, I want you to look at the smile. The idea is they have everything from A to Z. And when we get everything from A to Z, the illusion is we'll be happy. Uh, I get nervous when I see Amazon boxes on my porch. I have to be honest with you, okay, because of someone dear in my life. But there are folks out there, literally, they think if I have A to Z, I'm going to be happy. And one of the things I'm finding the longer we go is, is I don't get so happy, and a lot of others aren't so happy. The more I have, the more misery, the more stress, the more things that I have. And I think the more we find this joy elusive in our culture as we think on what God has provided for us, may we, instead of looking to the Amazon delivery moments, if you will, and then being disappointed again and again and again, but we see that as a blessing from God saying, you'll never find it in that. You'll only find it in me. Look here in Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is in my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. and My glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one. Notice holy one is capitalized to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16 is a messianic psalm, and we see Paul referring to it later in the book of Acts. Jesus, in some ways, this is alluding to what he will do and who he will be. And Jesus is saying to God the Father, I'm depending upon you, I'm focused on you. And then he says in verse 11, notice this, we often quote this verse kind of just on its own, Thou wilt show me the path of life, in thy presence is fullness of joy, at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Do you think we probably ought to take Jesus' word on it? He's there today. He was there when this was written, and he's been here to kind of include us in this whole deal, but he knows where joy is found. Joy is found in the presence of God. The other day I read this statement. I think it's just kind of a pithy little statement, but it's so good. A smile, one author said, is happiness you'll find right under your nose. 
And can I tell you today, there's happiness right under our nose. You know what it is? It is the triune God that we just studied about a couple of weeks ago. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If we have God, listen to me today, if we have God, we can have joy. You're missing things and people and places, and I am too. But we have Him, and more importantly, He has us. So why are we so downtrodden today? Why are we so discouraged? It's not easy, but we're able to endure it because we have the love of God. We have His grace and His mercy. Here's the question, we're done. Will you choose to not only settle for a smile-less existence in eternity by leaving off the pursuit of your own happiness, but number two, letting God give you real joy through His guidance, through His usefulness, and through His fellowship, whether that be in salvation today if you don't know Him as Savior, or just growing in your walk with Him as a believer. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for Your Word today.